Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Welcome to this week's Farm Talk. I'm Maureen Tuig. On the programme, we continue our weekly look at the world of agriculture and food. Farm Safety Week took place between July 20th and 24th. We hear from a Cork farmer who was attacked by a bull 12 years ago. We look at the findings of new research focused on trauma on farms big changes for farm payments, also the perceptions of women in agriculture. Our weekly Chagask advisory is with Canturk-based education officer Noreen O'Rahilly. Dairy Gulls East Cork Dairy Area Sales Manager John Valance joins us and Farm Talk's John O'Connor looks at stories making the agri-news this week. Farm Talk on C103. A Cork farmer is warning about the dangers of bulls. David Bird was attacked on his farm outside Bandon 12 years ago and has spoken to C103's senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran for Farm Safety Week. 12 years ago on this month, July, I went down for the cows in the evening and I just opened the gateway and walked into the paddock and walked through the cows and there was a Frisian bull amongst them, all right, so I obviously never noticed where he was or maybe I was a bit complacent. I walked over to the other end of the cows to bring him in and the next thing I just turned around and the bull was here at my side and then he levelled me, he knocked me on the ground, kept me on the ground for 15 to 20 minutes, putting me down with his head, pushing me down into the ground with his head. And uh, I, he had a ring all right on his nose, so I tried to pull him up, catch, caught his ring, and tried to pull him up to keep him off me, keep his head off me. But uh, he just kept kept keeping, pushing me into the ground. At one stage, he's put his two knees up on top of me, and then obviously, what was broke my ribs. I had eight broken ribs, and uh, eventually, I just got winded, and I just felt I couldn't do any more, and I just was giving up. And as a last resort, I just put my fingers in, as you would catch an animal by their nose, I put my fingers into his nose and squeezed them as tight as I could. And with that, he just jumped back off me and went away up after the cows. So. At that stage, I was completely winded, and I'd say if he had, if he had uh, stayed another few minutes, if it, if I had if he hadn't left at that stage, I probably would have been a goner. But uh, thankfully, 
I survived. But uh, I lay down on the field for another 20 minutes because I was completely winded. And uh, I couldn't stand. So I tried crawling up the field. Unfortunately, it was two fields away down from the yard. And it was downhill as well. So I had to come up the hill. So I tried crawling up. But I only went about maybe 20 or 30 yards and I had to give up. So fortunately I had a phone in my pocket. So I rang a neighbour and uh, he came. He came over to me and uh, he met another neighbour on the road, so the two of them came down to me and only for that, I probably would have been there all night. What kind of injuries did you have? So the injuries I had, I had um, a laceration to one of my kidneys, I had a bruised lung, I had eight broken ribs and I was all black and blue and uh, probably affected my lower back as well because it's telling now, all right, at this stage. My lower back and my shoulders give me a bit of trouble, so. Oh, but I suppose you get over that because I did survive, so. Like, probably the lucky ones. How long did it take you to recover from that? Probably took me 12 months to fully recover. But uh, the two neighbours were good because they milked the cows for a fortnight for me. So um, I went back milking again after that myself. Probably went back maybe a bit too soon. But... Uh, Anyway, that's farming for you. What goes through your head when you're lying on the ground like that and there's a bull mm. keeping you down? You just, think, you just think that this is it. Yeah, I just, I, I just was thinking the whole time, like, I'm not going to survive this because when you always hear of a bull attacking a person, a bull just probably keeps, keeps attacking until he nearly kills you. So I just thought, you know, I wasn't going to survive but Fortunately, I did. And afterwards, was it playing on your mind a lot? Yeah. I used to get flashbacks, all right, for maybe a few months afterwards. Of Especially when I'd just start to go to sleep, doze off to sleep. It would all come back, and then you'd just wake up then realise that everything was all right. <laughs> and it's difficult to yeah. come back to, to beef farming then after that. I mean, mm. you know, did you have to... Were you able to get another bull after that, or...? Yeah, well, it was a Frisian bull, so I decided then that I wouldn't keep a Frisian bull anymore. So I just changed over to the to the beef breeds, and instead of having Frisian heifers, I buy, I buy the replacement heifers now instead. But it would make you a lot more um, aware. Now, I would, the first thing I do always when I go down for the cows, I always look to see where the bull is. That'd be always my first thought. Like, where is the bull? And would you, you have would, that advice for other farmers yeah, as well? Yeah, I would have that advice for other farmers. Always make sure that you know where the bull is and that he is going in the right direction, that he's not going towards you. Mm. Yeah. And, and if also, he's coming towards you, what do you do? Run? Run, yeah. <laughs> Try and get to the other side of the wire if you can. But it's funny with bulls, they're actually scared of the electric fence wire. So that's what I would advise. Also, if, there's any, if a bull ever shows any sign of aggression, you should just get rid of him straight away. Because I've heard of a few people, even after I had my accident, I was talking to a few people and, oh yeah, they said, bull pushed me out under the gate one time and I said, have you still the bull? Oh, I have, he said. The first thing I would do in that case, I would get rid of the bull. 
and farm safety features throughout the programme today. Now, Irish farmers are in line for a potential 3% cut to their direct farm payments, but could gain up to 15% from a bigger pot of money available for farm schemes. The story makes the front page of the Irish Farmers Journal and news correspondent Pat O'Toole is on the programme today. The good news is that despite huge pressure on the budget in the EU, uh, the Irish government have come back with a cap budget for the next seven years, which is slightly up than the budget we had for the previous seven years, 2014 to 2020. In money terms, it's $10.73 billion over seven years. That's up $50 million on the last cap. Um, now, those are huge figures, but then we've got to remember there's 130,000 beneficiaries for each of those seven years. So you're talking about dividing that money out a million times, really, uh, give or take. So the average basic payment uh, to Irish farmers will actually go down a little. And the reason it's going to go down is because money is being shifted between what are known as the two pillars um, of the cap. Pillar one is direct payments. Pillar two is the schemes like the uh, ANC scheme for disadvantaged areas, the TAMs, the loss. So that money uh, is increased. They've managed to get money into that fund. But the average basic payment will go down from €9,845 a year to 9,610, which is a 3% cut. So that, I suppose that's the bad news. And the other thing then is the battle for how that money's going to be spent um, begins now. There's a lot of pressure on the funding because uh, the cap plans for the next seven years are very ambitious. The farm to fork scheme is intended to revamp how we produce our food. So uh, that's going to take a, a lot of resources. The IFA have long campaigned for tariffs on Russian-produced fertiliser to be dropped. A review of the tariff situation is underway, with a decision by the EU due to be announced soon. John O'Connor has more for Farm Talk. Farming organisations have called for an end to 25 years of high anti-dumping tariffs on ammonium nitrates AN imported from the Russian Federation. Irish and French farm organisations have been to the fore recently when a DG trade expiry review of the tax on Russian fertilisers took place. Taxes on non-EU produced fertiliser in place for a quarter of a century are due to expire this autumn. But EU farm groups are concerned that strong, consistent lobbying by the fertiliser industry may result in the anti-dumping measures being granted a new lease of life. The EU fertiliser industry is requesting a further five-year extension to these import tariffs. A decision on the issue by the European Commission is due for disclosure in September. IFA Inputs team leader Mr Tom Short told the DG Trade Review that the fertiliser industry was profitable enough and did not need further protection with anti-dumping measures. The IFA Inputs project leader pointed out that Irish farmers' biggest cost was nitrogen, but fertiliser prices, he contended, were being kept artificially high, with farmers having no say in the matter. Farmers, he demanded, must be listened to. EU fertiliser interests strongly refuted any allegations made about anti-competitive practices. The IFA and French farm organisations, AGPB, FNSEA, gave evidence at the expiry review hearing, calling for ammonium nitrates, AN, to be made available in the European Union at a competitive price. 
John O'Connor for Farm Talk. To coincide with this year's Farm Safety Week, a research paper entitled Trauma on Farms in the Republic of Ireland was published. Dr. Michael Sheehan, a farmer from Kerry, who's also worked as a doctor in Cork University Hospital's emergency department, is one of the authors of the report. He joins us on Farm Talk. Up until this, there hasn't been much data on the types of injuries and how they occur on farms worldwide, really. So we decided to to do this analysis because of that. I suppose we uncovered that, as we know, farming is the most dangerous occupation in the Western world. Uh, In Ireland, 5% of workplaces are farms, but almost 50% of workplace deaths occur on farms. And farming injuries affect all age groups. In our data set, we had patients from less than one year of age injured up to patients of 93 years of age. Farming is also unique in that often the injuries will occur in very rural locations. So there's difficulties in transferring patients to hospital. Farm trauma patients were much more likely to arrive by helicopter, for instance, than other trauma patients. In addition to that, I suppose over a quarter of the patients injured on farms were over 65 years of age. And that's another uh, aspect of farm trauma that's unique because in most industries, these people would be retired. They wouldn't be in the workplace. But unfortunately, in farming, you have kids on the farm and you have older people on the farm, uh, maybe still farming or helping out. These cohorts, the, the kids and the older people, are much more likely to have significant injury if they're put in danger. The peak attendances for farmers presenting to the emergency department with serious injuries were in March and July, and that corresponds, I suppose, with the busiest times of year for farmers. Dairy farming was the most dangerous type of farming in our study. I know you mentioned it, that like from one up to 90, that anyone can be injured on a farm, and it's so important that if you do have kids out in the farm with you, that like it's, it's important to keep an eye on them, that they understand that they need to be careful. Absolutely. In most workplaces, you wouldn't have kids uh, living and helping out in the workplace. But farming is different and farming is an all-family occupation. Often kids enjoy being on the farm and and they help out. But unfortunately, farms can be very dangerous places. And the most common injury pattern for children in our study was blow from an animal. So I suppose animals that mightn't be as dangerous to adults can be very dangerous for kids and cause really, really significant injuries. And I know that this year, 14 people have died on Irish farms and three of those are actually children, which obviously is devastating for everyone involved and needs to be eradicated. A lot of these injuries are absolutely life-changing. And so it's so important for the farmer to realise by taking a shortcut, you could actually be cutting short your career as well. Absolutely. This is the types of injuries that are life-changing or life-threatening. Some of the farmers involved in these injuries ended up in rehabilitation hospitals or in nursing homes afterwards because of the severity of their injury and obviously some died. So what we're trying to say is that the injuries which you could have because of a shortcut could actually affect you for the rest of your life. And I know you you already said it there earlier, you know, farming is one of the most inadequate safety records of any sector in Ireland. You know, how can this, how can you foresee that this could be improved upon both in now in the short term and for the future as well? 
Well, I think the IFA's campaign this week is that when farmers see unsafe practices by colleagues or neighbours or friends, that they would call it out, that they would say that's dangerous practice because that type of culture change can be uh, very powerful. And I suppose the safety inspections and everything else can only do so much, but the farmers themselves have to want to implement safe practices. I think that culture change is going to be key in driving this. And weeks like the Farm Safety Week and studies like this, which highlight the dangers in farming, can help to raise awareness and make people think twice before they take a chance. East Cork Dairy Area Sales Manager with Dairy Gold, John Valance, joins us this week. We're right in the middle of summer. Farmers may be anxious to get fields ready for reseeding after getting second cut silage out of the way. I started by asking John, what should farmers look at now before they jump in and start reseeding fields? The biggest thing they need to look at is the reseeding plan. You'd be hoping that every farmer would receive 10% to the farm every year, so every field would get 10 years in, but between receding being receded again. I suppose at the moment where things are going, what you'd look at the biggest thing is can you afford to take out the field for the for the eight weeks is going to be gone. What you'd be looking at there is your average farm cover. Look to be sustainable this time you're looking into building covers and whatever, you'd want at least five hundred kilograms of dry matter per hectare at the moment. But look the average around the country at the moment is seven hundred, so farmers should have plenty of time to to be able to take out the paddocks and without being to go in, end up going too tight on grass with the corn covers that are there at the moment. I suppose the other thing to look at things was when the, for the fields receded last, the growth history. That's what they're the ways you pick out your paddocks or your field that you're going to take out at the moment. Okay, and is there many steps that they can take to avoid reseeding? Or if grass is short, you know, what is the best approach? Look, I suppose go back again to your receding plan. Like if you're kind of operating on a plan, you should have no problem with, with taking out 10% again because you would have relatively fresh paddocks done within the last couple of years that will help keep the growth going, that you won't run too short. Look, I suppose your grass management is vital then rather than leaving cattle on big blocks of ground to kind of back fence and whatever on-off grazing system so that the regrowth aren't getting clipped again, that once the paddock is it, it's back growing again the next day as fast as possible. I look, another thing farmers can consider too is if they want to introduce some silage into the diet, that will help decrease the demand on grass which will open up more ground that will allow them to take it out. What farmers should look at is you could never avoid receding if you can at all. Like it, it's an investment that pays back in three years that you're going to get 10 years out of. So it's definitely worth something that every fellow should try not avoid if they can at all. Like. And grass seed mixes, they can define the productivity of grazing ground. What should we consider when choosing varieties? Look, I suppose the biggest thing is the purpose of the land. Like every farm will have designated grazing paddocks, designated silage ground, and then you'll have land that is used for both a dual purpose. So look, I suppose what they'll be looking at is in designated grazing grounds is... Um, a high concentration tetraploid that have no more palatable. You get the early and spring growth on them. So look, I suppose anything like an Abergain it would be a very good, a very good variety for early spring growth and late autumn growth to extend out the season. Then what you still need in it is a good bit of diploid, which will they'll do a thicker kind. They'll create a mass and just create a bigger amount of grass in on the paddocks. Then again, look if you're looking for a dual purpose, you'll be going for a, a nice mix of both, which will kind of perform you a nice cut style early in the year, and then a nice bit of late autumn growth to keep the grass going later into the year. And for that, you'll be looking at something like an Aston Energy or Aston King will be varieties that you'll be looking for to use in DIM. Look, I suppose another thing that is affecting a lot of farmers this year is the derogation coming in, that the requirement for all paddocks or any receding done, that it has to have a clover in it. So look, any farmer 
that is in derogation have to look at putting in at least a kilo and a half of a naked clover or a two and a half kilos of pelleted clover. Look, the only difference in the two of them is the, the naked clover is just a clover seed, whereas the pelleted clover will have a little bit of phosphorus and rhizosome stimulus that will help the clover get going that bit faster, especially this time of year. So look, there's no real difference it has in the different types of clover. They're all kind of the same. Once it's a medium leaf variety, there's no real difference in any of the different varieties in the clover. But look, like I said, the diploids We'll go back to the silage or the grass seed varieties again. A diploid for your silage ground, a thicker, denser one, and then the tetraploids for grazing ground, which will give you the more palatable for clean outs and it'll give you more autumn and spring growth. And John, is now a good time to get reseeding done or should they hold tough, you know, for later in the grazing season to get a better response? Uh, no, look, I think that with the way grazing reseeding is done, like they'd want to be spraying the off. At the start of August, really, at the latest to get the seeds into the, in in the middle of August. Um, like you're looking at a two week gap between actually spraying it off and establishing the seed. So I think look by the, the middle of August is the latest you'll be going. The, the, the thought behind that thing is that if the weather came against you, it, it might be harder to get the weed control done in the autumn and get it grazed in the autumn. But it's very important to get to get it sprayed and grazed at least once in the first year. So. If you leave that going to start the timber, unless you get an exceptional back end, you could be caught with that. So look, it all depends on the year from different times, but I'd be advising any farmer to consider going receding. Look, let it green up a small bit after silage, spray it, a good rate of spray, and look, wait for two weeks, and then go in and, and start and start receding it. I don't know why I wouldn't be advising to wait too much longer into the year in case the weather breaks. Uh, you could be lucky, you could be left with a field spread off and nothing done to it, or else you could have a fine seedbed established, nice grass coming in it, but not being able to get it in and get it sprayed. I'll get it grazed, and look, if you don't get it sprayed and grazed, you won't be dealing with the, as good of a crop in the springtime next year when it comes around. So and if any man or any woman get wanted to go do a bit of a seed now, I'd, I'd get it as fast as I can. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. 
Ireland's National Rural Network has launched a new video series to highlight the pivotal role women play in contemporary agriculture. Dr Maura Farrell from the NRN and NUI Galway joins us on Farm Talk. We took on this idea in looking at women in agriculture and I suppose looking at how these women are portrayed, these women who are working in the agricultural industry, are we still relying on, I suppose, outdated kinds of thematic ideas of women not being, not leading farms or not being physically strong enough to actually work on farms. So I suppose that was our idea in looking at it, that we seek out these strong women who are working in agriculture and make sure that they're their jobs, their work, their engagement in agriculture is much more visible. And I think it's through visibility we enhance participation in agriculture for women. And from your findings, Maura, do you feel that, like, I suppose, male and female farmers, that they're treated the same, or is there very much a divide there? There's still quite a lot of a divide, to be honest, Maurice. Um, and I think this is where we were kind of coming at. And, and it's, as you look at the videos, you lose the idea that we've got male and female farmers for, for to start off with here in Ireland, you've got a farmer, and I think that's what we want to portray. You've got farmers, irrespective of gender, who are hugely resilient, strong people. And these women who you'll see in the videos, they're so committed to what they do, and that's what comes across. They're highly educated, intelligent women who really know the agricultural industry. And they really know farming. You completely eliminate the idea of gender, no more than if you went into a doctor or solicitor. You go in for a job or you go in for some advice or something. And when you look at these videos, that's exactly what you see. You see strong, resilient, innovative women who are just getting on with the job. It's a difficult industry for women for the very reason that they have huge difficulty in gaining access to land. Farming is about access to land. It's about having land to farm. And if you have difficulty in gaining access, then you have a problem to start with. At the moment here in Ireland, we've got about 88% of the farms that are, I suppose, are held by males, which leaves about 12% held by females. And again, a lot of these potentially could be farms that have been left to wives of um, male farmers that would have passed on. So you still don't have a huge amount of young female women involved in agriculture or who own or have access to land themselves. Do you think, Maura, that if we had a female agriculture minister, would that make a difference? It's hard to know would that in itself make a difference, but where it does make a difference is visibility. And I think visibility is a huge influencer for younger people. And if you see women and females involved in agriculture right across the sector, not just in farming, but involved in politics, involved in organisations, involved in strong organisations like the IFA, MOCRA, any of these organisations that are fronting agriculture in Ireland, if you have women involved, even the likes of Chagas, if women are involved in these, and if young females see their involvement, then it becomes an area that is quite acceptable for females to become involved in. And it's kind of funny when you actually look at it from an educational sector, because at the moment you would have quite a strong educational element with women involved in education in and around agriculture. Two of the girls I think we have on it are still in further education in relation to agriculture, Deirdre Dively from Galway 
and EFA Forward, either going through UCD or graduates of UCD. And again, you have a very high percentage of females involved in university. I think it's it's about 40% of the university degrees would be female involved in agriculture. And I think in veterinary education, it's something like 70% of females involved in veterinary. So there's quite a lot of women being educated. We just need now to change the perspective, to change the thinking of people and become much more accepting of women who can do a very good job in agriculture. What would you say now to encourage, you know, any young females who are listening to this and maybe also, you know, farmers who are looking to, you know, let's say they're saying, who will I give the farm to? And maybe it's, you know, consider everyone. Absolutely. We have a huge problem with succession here in Ireland and it's not just for um, females. There's also males involved in our succession and I think at the moment here in Ireland we've only got 5% of the farmers across the board that are under 35 years of age. So handing over the farm here in Ireland is a huge aspect of life. We've done a lot of work in Galway in relation to this. I had a PhD student a number of years ago, Shane Conway, who's actually now working with us on the National Rural Network Project. And Shane did a huge amount of work in relation to succession and inheritance, finding the difficulties for older farmers to actually hand over the land, irrespective of whether it's male or female. So handing over this land, I suppose you have to think that farming is a way of life. It's not a job that you can retire at 65 and walk away from. You usually live on the farm, you work on the farm, so it's your way of life. So to ask a farmer to retire and walk away from that, it has something psychological that is very, very difficult for them to do. Now you add in a gender aspect where tradition and culture really allows the farmer, if he is to hand over this farm, he will tend and want to hand it over to a male. So getting that changed from the succession and inheritance kind of thinking of handing over the farm sooner and earlier to younger farmers to bend the consideration of handing it over to the female, there's a long road ahead. There really is. But the more we can actually show women in this space now who perform very, very successfully, the more this becomes an option and a very presentable option to farmers willing and wanting to hand over the land. Dairy Gold customers require the full removal of chlorine-based products by the end of this year. Farm Talks' John O'Connor has all the details. I started by asking John what progress has been made in the removal of chlorine residue from the entire dairy industry chain so far. The 1st of January 2020 saw the removal of chlorine detergents from bulk tank wash programmes on farms and the 1st of July then was the deadline for the removal of chlorine from milking machine programmes. Maeve O'Connor, Dairy Gold Advisor, writing in the July 2020 edition of the co-op magazine Milk Matters, outlines in detail how best to prevent chlorate and TCM residues in milk. Chlorates and TCMs, why have they to be removed entirely from milk and butter production? What gave rise to concerns about their residual presence in milk and butter products? The two main chlorate residues which the dairy sector is focusing on removing are chlorates in powders which affect iodine metabolism in infants and the TCM which affects butter quality. Apart from these negative health and product quality implications, would failure to meet the required chlorine TCM free standards be sanctioned commercially? Failure to comply could result in the loss of current and or future contracts with Dairy Gold customers. How are chlorates and TCMs produced? What factors cause their creation? 
Chlorates are produced by the degradation of sanitising agents such as chlorine, chlorine dioxide or hypochlorite. TCM, on the other hand, is formed when chlorine in the detergent sanitizer comes into contact with the milk fat or other organic matter. Over the past two years, Dairy Gold have carried out a number of on-farm trials. What were some of the key findings? In the last two years, Dairy Gold have carried out on-farm trials with farmers using CF chlorine-free products, both in bulk tank and milking machine. Now, Dairy Gold found it's critical that the right amount of detergent and hot water would be used when using CF chlorine-free detergents. It was also established that the wash routine would have to be consistent and clear for farm personnel to follow. Again, the outcome of these uh, on-farm trials are described in detail by Ms Maeve O'Connor, Dairy Gold, in the July 2020 Milk Matters magazine, number 89. What is the best way to ensure your dairy enterprise is fully compliant with chlorine and TCM residue regulations? Well, in her feature on preventing chlorate and TCM residues in milk, Maeve O'Connor recommends that farmers would purchase approved trialled and tested detergents from the Chagas list. Details of that Chagas list at www.chagas.ie or you may consult your milk quality advisor. So to sum up, Dairy Gold customers require the full removal of chlorine-based products by the end of this year, 2020. That's correct, Maraid. I would recommend that Dairy Gold milk suppliers read Maeve O'Connor's feature on the subject in the July issue of the Dairy Gold magazine, Milk Matters. The Department of Agriculture, Food and Marine has released a statement to say it is aware of a number of phone calls to farmers from a person purporting to represent the department seeking bank details. They state that they need these details to allegedly offer refunds or seek due payments. The department say they never seek bank details or any other personal information by phone or by text message. The advice, if you receive a telephone call purporting to be from this department and seek this type of information is not to share your information. You can report such phone calls to the department's quality service unit at 076 106 4468. That number again 076 106 4468. Anyone who mistakenly provides personal information in response to these types of fraudulent phone calls should contact their bank or credit card company immediately and alert the guard. We continue this week's Farm Talk with our weekly Chagasque advisory. Noreen O'Rahali is Education Officer in Chagas East Cork and is based in the Canturk office. This week we focused on farm safety. I asked Noreen about what can be done to prevent more deaths from farm accidents. I suppose to give us an indication of where it's happening is probably a good idea to how to stop it happening. And looking at the HSA statistics, these accidents are happening with farm machinery, tractors and vehicles. We have to look on these as lethal equipment. We have to look at our farm practices every day and keep in mind and look at our approach to this. What can we do to, to reduce this risk? And what good practices can we adopt to reduce the risk with you know, vehicles and tractors on the farm? We're all busy. And farmers in particular, it's very seasonal and we're trying to grab at the moment breaks in weather when we can get harvest or second cut silage or get the hay in. But we have to stop and slow down and check your machinery. The good tips would be is to do um, a daily check 
So the van vehicles would be quads, uh, jeeps, tractors, and other machinery would be like loaders and such. So we must do daily checks on this. Are they safe? Are they working properly? Are they in proper, safe operating condition? We all are taking risks and we've got way maybe other times by doing this and don't do it again. Do you know, it's for our family. It's, it, we are a, an important person in the family, the farmer, but also for other people around us to make sure that this vehicle, which is proven with statistics, is a lethal vehicle is not going to cause damage to you or any member of your family. And I suppose, Noreen, you know, at any one time on a farm, you could have a lot of different age groups there together from very young children right up to elderly people and they all could be there together. So is there higher risks with different age categories? 43% of all the fatalities between 2010 and 2019 were with people over 65 on the farm and 10% was with children. So 50% of all the accidents was with the very old and with the very young. So with the older people on the farm, we must be aware of them when we're on machines and on the vehicles and tractors and be aware of them around us, but be aware of them as users of it. Be aware of blind spots with the young and old. We actually had a health and safety event on a farm there last autumn in Drumtariff and we, on the tractor, put different cones at different points around the tractor. And a person, we just got a volunteer to go up in the tractor and be able to tell us what cones they could see. And there were cones at different points they could not see when they're on the tractor. And they're the blind points that I mean. So, like, we'll say directly there to the rear of the tractor to a point just at the back wheel is, is a blind spot. And they're near the front tyre, up close, is a blind spot. When you're handling livestock in particular, that we have proper handling facilities, that we can, we'll say, manage them, have them secure and have us safe. Have a good calving gait. Be aware of your limitations. I suppose younger people, it's hard to balance. They are the future, okay? We need to have them involved and educate them to try and reduce the risk. We need to start talking about this on the farm about saying stop we've to stop this happening and instead of saying that you know what happened we need to say how will I prevent this from happening and how will I prevent my family being put at risk and what good practices will I take in place and plan it and have your machinery in good repair have your kids educated um, and have be aware of the older person on the farm. And Noreen, I suppose, uh, looking at Chagisk, what kind of training is carried out by Chagisk on health and safety on farms? Different offices have held health and safety events. Uh, and in these events, Sean will say on the farm the risks and what the good practices um, can be. And we've done this with the HSA officer and we've done it with the Garda Traffic Division because, you know, they're all good practices that need to be carried out on the public road, but also within the farm and highlight to people where the risks are in the farm and how we reduce the risks. And again, with their advisor, their advisor on the farm um, coming in their visit, again, the, the advisor can make them aware of where there's risks. Or it can again be with discussion groups. Every time there's a discussion group held on the farm, again, if there's a health and safety risk on the farm, then it's something that can be discussed with the group. And again, because we can be blind to what we walk through, walk, see or don't see on a farm, but 
fresh eyes can see these things. We do health and safety half-day training. It is a legal obligation for a farmer to have a health and safety risk assessment book filled out. Now, at the moment, the courses don't have to be complete by a person who've applied for TAMS um, due to the COVID, but we will be starting these courses again in the autumn. So, Noreen, is there any upcoming events um, for people that they should be made aware of? There's a local farmer um, that's doing the Twitter takeover in Chagas under the heading of the Chagas Grass Tin Twitter. It's Mike Birmingham. It's Mike and Tina Birmingham just outside from I. Mike has a very interesting story. He actually only started farming in 2010 and before that was involved in the construction business. So in 2010, he started farming by contract rearing and then contract rearing heifers. And in 2014, just started um, milking cows. He now milks um, 108 cows and is actually farming them under difficult enough conditions. He's 580 feet above sea level in a north-facing farm. With this Twitter takeover, it's on the July the 29th. Mike is going through his story. Mike is a, is a very, very good farmer. He's very good um, farm skills and practices and has a very good, successful uh, story to tell. You could access it through chagas.ie. Farmers are invited to take part in a farm plastics management project. Farm Talk's John O'Connor has more details on this and also upcoming waste farm plastics drop-off centres in North Cork. Dundalk Institute of Technology in County Louth is seeking farmers from all over the country to take part in a farm plastics management project. One of the key researchers at Dundalk Institute of Technology, Miss Clodagh King, points out that farmers are uniquely placed and important contributors for their study. They have hands-on experience with plastics use and can give a clear picture of the factors surrounding the use of plastics in Irish agriculture. Miss King points out the aim of the research in Dundalk is to understand the main uses of plastics and the main users of plastics in agriculture and also how farmers manage plastics. Dundalk Institute wants to know which plastic disposal methods are used, how easy it is to dispose of plastics and what barriers might be preventing the recycling of farm plastics efficiently in Ireland. The researchers have created a survey as part of their research project entitled Accumulate, a study on the accumulation of microplastics in soils and terrestrial ecosystems. This project is currently being conducted within the Centre for Freshwater and Environmental Studies. Currently, there is very little known about the accumulation of microplastics in soils, specifically in agricultural soils. Ms. King points out there is no evidence to suggest that microplastics are accumulating in Irish agricultural soils. However, there have been some studies published over the last year or two on the accumulation of microplastics in agricultural soils globally. Further information on the research into plastics in agriculture being carried out at Dundalk Institute of Technology in County Louth from the following cloda.king at dkit.ie that's c-l-o-d-a-g-h dot k-i-n-g at dkit.ie all lowercase research being carried out by Dundalk Institute of Technology inviting farmers to take part in a special plastics management survey use of plastics in agriculture meanwhile the following are details of local plastic collections in County Cork 
Lombardstown Dairy Gold at Mallow, Tuesday 28th of July. Mill Street Dairy Gold, Thursday and Friday, 30th and 31st of July. Valley Desmond, Kelly Brothers Quarry, Saturday 1st of August. Before deciding to use one of the drop centres and bring classics along, listeners should phone the following number or make contact on the following website. They should call 1890 300 or contact www.farmplastics.ie to make sure the centre is open and to find out the opening times. The opening times vary but are generally 9am to 5pm. It's important to phone in advance to check out full details to ensure that your load will be acceptable. John O'Connor for Farm Talk. Thanks to John O'Connor for co-producing and contributing to the Farm Talk programme again this week. I'm Maureen Tuig. Thanks for listening. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow-up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.